This morning, like I said, we're going to be in John 4. Uh, and this morning, uh, as, as I was studying this, I just saw such a shift kind of in the, the text. I've preached this a million times, and I've never, ever, ever even thought half of these things. And this morning, I don't want us to miss these things because they are so fundamental um, to God changing everything in us. But kind of in this text we see Jesus entering the story and he's dealing with the same guys he was last week remember the Pharisees the religious leaders of the day and these people already weren't really a big fan of Jesus and then uh, here Jesus is making more trouble for these guys so in verse four or in verse one it says when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John now John is not the writer of this book John the disciple um, wrote this book John the Baptist is the John in the text here, a guy that you've heard of. Uh, if you're Baptist, right on, like he's your man. Um, but it says Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John being John the Baptist. And then in 2, um, John the disciple lets us in on a little fact. Uh, it says Jesus himself was not baptizing anybody. He, he wasn't doing it. But it says his disciples were. And it says in 3, um, when he knew this, he left Judea, which is kind of in the southern part of Israel, and he went again to Galilee, which is in the far north of Israel. And you look at that and you're like, okay, uh, we've got a couple options. One, we can blow through that, or two, we can try to figure out why Jesus would have done that. Like, what is the point of Jesus leaving uh, this place where he has an effective ministry, Right? It says that in Judea, he was making and baptizing more disciples than even John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is kind of a big deal. So why would he, with an effective ministry, like leading all these people into the presence of God, why would Jesus leave um, Judea and travel to Galilee? And the answer is in the beginning, because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, heard that Jesus was making so many disciples. See, they weren't a big fan of John the Baptist. I don't know if you knew that or not. The Pharisees didn't really like that guy because he didn't look like them and he didn't act like them and he didn't teach like them and he kind of taught in a way against them and they weren't big fans of that. And here comes Jesus and he's making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist and the Pharisees look at that and they're like, I don't like that guy. Because every person they turn into a disciple and they baptize as one less disciple of the Pharisees, right? You look at that and you're like, why would the religious leaders be against this mighty movement of God? And here, here's the reality of it this morning. The Pharisees were not out to build the kingdom of God. They were out to build their own kingdom. What they wanted, just like we talked about last week, is to amass all these followers, all this power. They wanted everybody looking at their righteousness instead of God's righteousness. And then Jesus pops down on the scene and he says things like this. Uh, actually, you Pharisees are whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look pretty and you dress pretty and you act pretty and you look like you have your life together. But on the inside, you're full of, Jesus' words, dead men's bones. Man, on the outside, you're the most religious thing on the planet, but on the inside, you're full of death because it's not about God, it's about religion. And that's hard to hear. Especially when you base everything there is in your life off religion. And these men were not, because of that, big fans of Jesus and Jesus' ministry. 
Jesus knew that as the Pharisees' jealousy grew, they were going to come after him. They were going to take him and then eventually lead him to the cross. And Jesus wasn't running from the cross, but it wasn't time yet. He had some things to do. So it says he made the journey from Judea, southern part, to Galilee, northern part, which is about a 70-mile journey if you kind of walk in a straight line up through there, about two and a half days on foot. They didn't have trains and cars and things like that then. So Jesus makes this journey, and it says um, in 4, he had to travel through Samaria. Now, we would have blown over that at home, right? And whatever, okay, who cares? I don't know where Samaria is. not a big deal to me. Don't really care about that. Just get me to the story, Jesus. But this is the story. See, the reality is, no, he did not have to travel through Samaria. Actually, any other religious Jewish person would never travel through Samaria. If you looked at a map, it would be Judea in the bottom, Samaria right on top of that, and then Galilee on top of that. And yes, in a straight line, it would take you right through Samaria. But any religious Jewish person would never travel through Samaria. They would cross over the Jordan River. They would come up the other side in this providence called Perea. And then they would come back over when they crossed into Galilee because the Jews hated the Samaritans. That's why the story, the Good Samaritan, was such a kind of shakeup in the community. Because in the Jews' eyes, there were no good Samaritan. Samaria, actually, the Jews believed they could be defiled. They could be made unclean just by walking into the land of Samaria. And when it says here, Jesus has to walk into, has to go through Samaria, no, he does not. He has all kinds of options. He has the normal options. He has the way that all the other Jews would go. But Jesus is not just another religious Jewish man. He's the son of God. So he walks into Samaria, and the reason he had to is because he had an appointment that day. He had something to do and someone to meet. She didn't know it, but he did. And it says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, right on the southern border of Samaria. And it says it was near the property that Jacob, one of the patriarchs, right? Not Jacob the drummer, but Jacob in the Bible. Uh, It says, Jacob... You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that guy, had given to his son Joseph, you know, the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, the um, coat of many colors, you know, went over to Egypt and rescued the people of um, Israel through storing up some grain. That guy, kind of a big deal. In um, 6, it says Jacob's well was there, or a well that Jacob had built. And it said, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. So at this morning, at this point in time, Jesus had been walking all day. It was hot. He was tired. He gets to this well, this place where he can get some water, and he sits down at the well. And it says in seven, a woman of Samaria, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water. It's kind of weird. It's in the heat of the day. Nobody draws water at 6 o'clock. This is a duty for the morning. Like people come early in the morning when it's still cool and they draw all the water they're going to need for the entire day. Like all the water for cooking, all the water for cleaning, all the water for washing. They would get all that early in the morning and then use it all day long and then come back the next day. But here's this woman coming at 6 o'clock in the afternoon to draw water. Kind of a, a weird thing. And Jesus says to this woman, give me a drink. Makes sense. He said he was thirsty, right? And it says, Jesus said to her, and ate, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
We blew through that, right? Hold up. Every Jewish person that is religious walks around Samaria, right? Because they're afraid if they walk into Samaria that they're going to be defiled, that they will be made unclean. It would be unheard of for a Jewish person to walk into Samaria, right, in the first place, because they may be made unclean, let alone sit down at a well and ask for water. If you can't walk in the land, you surely can't drink the water, right? And even more unheard of for these Jewish men to walk into the marketplace and interact with these people and eat their food. But the truth here is, man, Jesus is not afraid that somehow their uncleanliness is going to defile him. He's not worried about the amount of uncleanliness here in Samaria because there is no amount of uncleanliness that can make Jesus unclean. So he's like, not only am I going to walk up into Samaria, let's just show all you people this. I'm going to walk in here with these people you view as sinners, with these people you view as half-breeds, with these people you hate. I'm going to walk in here with them, people you'd never associate with or talk to. I'm going to go in here. And then I'm going to sit down at the well just to show you guys, like, I can do whatever I want. And then, not only that, I'm going to drink the water and I'm going to eat the food. I'm going to hang out with the people. I'm going to share life with the people because I'm not afraid somehow their uncleanliness is going to be enough to make me unclean. So Jesus sits down at the well. He asks for a drink of water. His disciples are going to get food. It's weird to pretty much everybody here in the story at this point in time. And it says in 9... This lady even thinks it's weird, and she says to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, by the way, if you weren't aware, um, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then she goes on, and it says, for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This lady like fills Jesus in, right? I don't know, sir, where you come from, but you're a Jew, in case you didn't know, and I'm a Samaritan, in case you didn't know, also a woman. Men and women don't interact in the marketplace. It's weird. Um, Yet here you are talking to me, and I don't know if you know this because you're kind of different, but Jews, they hate Samaritans. This is the conversation this lady has with Jesus. Why in the world are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? I did not come here for a conversation. I come here to get water. You hate me anyway. Uh, I don't understand any of this, and I'm really kind of uncomfortable. That's what's going on in the story right here. Um, And it says, in 10, Jesus answered. This kind of blows right through that, right? Uh, If you knew the gift of God... And who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. This is what Jesus says. I want you to see this doesn't actually go with the conversation right here. Jesus loves to do that. She says, hey, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, and you guys hate us, and I don't know why you're asking me for water. And Jesus totally ignores that. Your argument actually is not valid to the point that I'm going to (laughs) respond. And then he says, actually, um, I was just breaking the ice here. I didn't really need any water. Um, if you knew the gift of God, or if you really knew about the Messiah, that's what I was saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, 
And you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Jesus looks at this lady, and he's like, have you ever heard about the Messiah? You know, the Savior sent from heaven, like you ever heard of that guy? Well, I'm him, right? And if you knew that, instead of you letting me ask you for water, you would ask me for water. But I love what he says here. He says, and he would, right, give you a drink. Not he might or he may or he'll think about it or he doesn't really know because you're a Samaritan. But like, if you ask, he will give. That's what he says. It's a guarantee here. This lady is trying to already think of every reason in the world that Jesus shouldn't be talking to her, shouldn't be interacting with her, doesn't even know who he is yet. Um, and, and, and she's trying to deflect. Now, this is not a conversation I want to get into. I don't really want to share that with you. And, and then he says, actually, I, don't, I know who you are. Don't care. I know where I am. Don't care. I know the water that's in this well, also don't care. I know the food that the disciples are bringing, don't care. I'm not worried about your level of uncleanliness or my level of uncleanliness. None of that is on the radar this morning. I just want you to know, no matter who you are, if you ask, I will give you to drink. This is the only thing that needs to be said in this conversation. I don't need your history, because if you ask, I will give you to drink. I don't need your list of reasons that I should not be talking to you, because if you ask, I will give you to drink. I don't knitting your excuses and your stuff. If you ask, I will give you to drink. And then like right there in the moment, you see it, right? Because some of us, like all the time, we're like, well, I don't know if Jesus will forgive me or I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't know, blah, 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 blah. And the truth of it really is, that's not the important part of the conversation this morning. The conversation is, if you ask, I will give. And this is what Jesus says to this lady. And she looks at him in probably the most serious way um, ever, And she says, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep. You can just see it flying right over her head, right? (laughs) Sir, you don't have a bucket. And that's a deep well. How are you going to get, are you going to jump down in the well? Like, what are you going to do to get the water out of the well? And then she says, so where do you get this living water? I love this conversation because Jesus is sitting at the same old well, right? She's been coming to this well every single day, bringing the jar every single day. And every single day she dumps the water in the bucket, she takes it home, she does her thing, and she comes back the next day. And then she looks at Jesus and he says, I will give you living water. And then in her mind, somehow she thinks that what Jesus is talking about is I'm going to get water that's living out of that well that you've been going to every single day. See, that's crazy to me because nothing changed about the well, right? The well still looks the same. It still smells the same. It still tastes the same. Like it is the same exact well. Jesus is just sitting on the side of it. And somehow she thinks, oh, because Jesus is sitting on the side of the well, this man's sitting on the side of the well, somehow if he dips a bucket down in there and he gets this water out, it's going to be different water. The truth of it is nothing about the water changed. Nothing about the well changed. Just because you tack Jesus on the well doesn't make it a different well. And Jesus looks at this woman And he says, I'll give you living water. And she says, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get down in that well? And Jesus should have answered back. Well, actually, we're not talking about this well. Um, But it says, where are you going to get this living water? And then in 12, she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
You can see in this moment, she has no idea who Jesus is. But I thought about this, and it's like, why would this Samaritan woman who knows a Jewish man is not even supposed to be really associating with her, why would we have this conversation? Because in that moment, she loaded the gun full of bullets for Jesus, right? (laughs) He could have said, what do you mean, your father Jacob? Samaritans are not Jews, You guys are Babylonians, they brought you in, they settled you in our land, and you tried to worship our God, who you did a horrible job of, by the way, and you like kind of had children and offspring with people who were Jewish, but you're not Jews, and you have no claim to Jacob, and you have, he could have said that, he didn't do that. He could have said, what do you mean Jacob's well? Like, this is not your well. He didn't give you this well. He gave us this well. And the Babylonians carried us off and they brought you in. This is not yours. You have no claim to it. You shouldn't be here. You should get out and go home. Any other Jewish man would have had this conversation with her. And he could have said, yes, I am better than Jacob. I created Jacob. I am God. He could have done that too. Like, she loaded up on things Jesus could have said here. And it's like, why would you do that? She was trying to, in this moment, I believe, end this conversation. I just need to get out of here. I just, I'm trying to get my water. I'm trying to get out of here. I don't understand this. I don't know why you're talking to me. I don't know why you're telling me about living water. I don't know any of that stuff. I'm uncomfortable, and I'm trying to get out of the room right now. So here's, here's some stuff. Just yell at me and leave. And Jesus just completely ignores it again. It's not your, I'm not trying to have your conversation. I'm trying to have my conversation, right? I just want to get you to where I want to get you this morning. So it says, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water, looking at that well. Everyone looking at, you think Jacob's so great. Everybody that drinks from Jacob's well is going to get thirsty again. Actually, you know that because every day you come to this well, right? You come and you dip your little jar in there and you take water home and then the next day you've used all that water and you've got to come back. You've got to do it again. You've got to do it again. You've got to do it again over and over and over again because this water never really satisfies, does it? Not forever. Not permanently. Like right now, if we, we all just took a drink, in a little while we would need another, right? That's what he's saying. There's, there's nothing special about this water. Everybody who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. In 14, he goes on, he says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. So I'm at a different water. And then he says, ever. He goes on, he says, in fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Actually, not only is the water I'm going to give you going to be able to satisfy you and quench your thirst and, and do something a little stronger than all this water forever, by the way. Not only is my water superior, not only am I better than Jacob, but not only is my well better than Jacob's well. I just want you to know, when you drink of this water, it doesn't just become something you take one time. It becomes a well of water springing up in you for eternal life you become your own well forever not just simply to get you to heaven is what he's saying here but he's saying forever for eternal life for every day forever and ever and ever and ever and ever this living water is in you not just waiting to get to some destination, but today the living water is in you. And tomorrow, guess what? The living water is in you. And the next day, guess what? The living water is in you. And the next day, guess what? The living water is in you. That's what he's saying to this lady. You don't have to continue to come to the well because the well becomes you. And this lady looks back and 
She says in 15, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty, and listen to this, and come here to draw water. She is still 100% thinking about water. That well actually does sound better, actually. Even though she doesn't know what he's talking about, she knows she hates this well, right? I have to come to this well every single day, and this is horrible. I come when it's hot every single day, and it's horrible. I don't come in the morning when everybody else comes. I wait till 6 o'clock when everybody's kind of doing their thing, maybe cooking dinner, maybe getting settled in, and then I come to the well, and I carry my jar, and it's not a good trip, and it's not a fun trip, and I'm kind of tired of this well. This well's horrible. I know that I tried to say it was like great because it was Jacob's minute ago, but like it's, I'm really not that impressed with this well. But in her, she's still thinking about water. And this is what Jesus says back because, again, Jesus is having his own conversation. He says in 16, go call your husband. Wouldn't you be like, why? Like, why did he, why did he say that? How many other times in the Bible have you seen like somebody come to Jesus and he offers them living water or eternal life and he said, oh, go get your husband? Because this, this is the one that I know of, right? So there has to be a reason that he does this. this oh, go call your husband, he told her, and then come back here. In 17, she says back to Jesus, I don't have a husband, she answered. And Jesus looks right back and he's like, you're right. You have correctly said, he, he knew this, he's not shocked. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've, and here's where it gets real, for you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Anybody with me? Why would Jesus do that? What is the point in that? Because obviously Jesus already knew, right? That she didn't have a husband. Jesus actually knew this lady's life story. He's like, actually, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. She didn't tell him. He told her. And the guy you're living with right now, he's not even your husband. So best case scenario, they're kind of living just in a, in a relationship where they're together and, and they're not married. Worst case scenario, he belongs to somebody else. Why would he do that? Can I tell you one reason that it's not? Jesus did not do this to condemn this woman. Actually, in this moment, we find out why this lady has been coming to the well at 6 o'clock in the afternoon every day. This woman has been living in condemnation for probably years and years now. I don't know how long it took her to blow through five husbands and be living with somebody else's or just some guy. But it wasn't like 15 minutes. This, is, this would be looked bad on today, right? Like we'd be whispering in the corners about this today. Imagine then where adultery you could be drug out into the street and stoned for. This woman avoided people. That's why she come to the well at six. Because every day she lived condemnation. You, you don't think she walked down the street and people's like, man. I can't say the words that they would have called her. You don't think she would have been getting well and heard people, man, that's that girl that, 
You don't think she'd come to the well every day when it was hot because that was the only time she could, do you? It wasn't like a convenience thing. She came to the well every day when it was burning up because that was the time nobody else would be there. So maybe as she walked down the street and a couple eyes from some windows or from doorways, but she didn't have to deal with all the people that way. Jesus didn't say this to condemn her. She was already condemned, right? Jesus said this because, man, he's not been talking about water this whole conversation. At no point in time ever in this conversation, other than maybe I'm thirsty, give me something to drink, was Jesus talking about water. And he wasn't even really talking about Jacob's well. See, the reality of it is this woman's well was not that little well in the center of town. She had no claim to that well. Like Jacob didn't give her that well. She wasn't even part of the the line of Jacob. That wasn't her. He didn't need to rebuttal that because he wasn't even talking about that. See, this lady's well was men. Where she looked to get satisfaction was relationships. So she married a guy. They lived together for a while, and then she become unsatisfied. He doesn't make me happy anymore. He doesn't make me feel wanted anymore. He doesn't fulfill me anymore. So she got rid of him. Next, right? Two, started out maybe great, but eventually, same spot. He doesn't fulfill me anymore. He doesn't make me happy anymore. So she left. Then three. Guess what? Number three couldn't do it either. And then number four couldn't do it either. And then number five couldn't do it either. And now she's working on number six. And maybe she makes it to marriage. Maybe she doesn't. But the truth of it is, he's not going to have the power to fulfill her either. Because this well that she's going to doesn't have the power to satisfy. Just like water... She's going to take a drink, and the next day she's going to have to take another, and the next day she's going to have to take another, and eventually she's going to realize this well's not going to do it. I hate this well. Can I say this morning, we all have wells. For some of you, it's relationships. For some of you, it's other things. For some of you, you look for fulfillment in people and places and you look for fulfillment in, in, in maybe words from other people or maybe money or maybe stuff. It's an endless trap, right? And at the end of the day, you know, don't you? It doesn't do anything. Because the truth of it is, no matter how much money you have, it's never going to be enough. Right? They just make more expensive stuff. Oh, I wish I had enough to get that. The next one's going to cost a couple hundred dollars more, right? For some of you guys, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a substance and you're like, man, I have to get that. Can I just say the reason people become drug addicts is not because they really like drugs. It's because the first time they get this feeling and they'll never get it again. So the second time they maybe have to take more and the third time they have to take more and the fourth time they have to take more and eventually they OD because they're never going to get that feeling and they're chasing that feeling because you can't be satisfied with that. Alcohol, same way. Relationships, same way. Images on the computer, same way. Some good, some bad, never fulfilling. 
And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, hey, I know you've been talking about water the whole time, but let's just get real for a moment. Your well has never been water. This is a symptom. You come here late because this is a symptom of your real well and your real well is men. And you know, because we're six down the line now, that this one and 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 this one couldn't do it. And no matter how many you chase, there's never going to be one that can fulfill you. Never, no matter how many you try, there's never going to be one that can fulfill you because they weren't made for that. Because they don't have living water. See, the reality is there's one thing that satisfies, and that is Jesus. There's one thing that fulfills, and that is Jesus. There's one like, thing that quenches every thirst. There's one thing that is completely satisfying, and that is Jesus. And that's what, he looks at this woman, he's like, I can give you water that, that not only will quench you today, but it becomes a well of water in you. That you can constantly go to for, for that satisfaction. You don't have to come meet me here every day, I'll come and I'll be in you. And it says, this is what the lady says to him. In 19, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. We've seen this lady over and over and over and over again try to deflect with Jesus, right? And now she again tries to deflect with Jesus because it's uncomfortable when Jesus identifies the thing that we look to over him. Okay, can we be real about that? That thing that we're digging into and pouring into and drawing from that we think can satisfy us that's not Jesus, it's uncomfortable when he highlights that. For some of you this morning, he's highlighting that. And you're thinking, I need to go eat. Or I need to get out of here and do this thing. Or you need to shut up and sing a song. And this lady, in that same way, because this is what we go to, says, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. I believe you're from God. And then she asks this question in 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. What does that have to do with water, right? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. This woman asked him a question. She's trying to turn to a religious topic to get the attention away from, I'm not satisfied, and I don't know if I want you to change that. So she says, our fathers, the Samaritans, say that's where we got to worship. And you Jewish people say that's where we got to worship. Which one is it? Can I just ask this? Why does that matter in this context? Who, who cares, right? My will is not Jesus. My satisfaction is not Jesus. What I'm drawing out of every day is not Jesus, and I'm completely unsatisfied. And here's this man that offers me complete satisfaction in him. I don't know if I want to give it up, so let me ask you a question. Where should I worship? Is it here or there? I just need to, I want to make sure I'm doing it right. And she pours into religion. And Jesus answers back. The only time she even kind of jumps, he even kind of jumps into her conversation, right? 
Every other time it's been, uh, you're not going to control this conversation. I'm going to go on to the next thing. You're not going to control this conversation. I'm going to go to the next thing. And here he addresses it. And it says, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. An hour is coming when it doesn't matter. There's a moment coming when it doesn't matter where you worship. He goes on, he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Now we look at that and we're like, man, that's a hateful comment, right? Like, I can't believe you said that to her. You worship, this is the only time we see Jesus addressing this culture, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, man, you, you're worshiping with a, a half knowledge at best. You still worship, you just, you don't, it's not been revealed, you don't know. And we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. It's not saying it's for the Jews, although they're included, but it's from. That's, that's the line that the Messiah is coming through, right? That's the promised people of God. That's the chosen people of God right there. That's the line is what he's saying. We, we have the knowledge. See, the truth is we're the people of God, and he's been training us day after day forever like to do the things. We have a book full of the things. We know how to do the things, and we worship out of the knowledge of the things, and you worship out of no knowledge of the things, or at least little knowledge of the things. But then in 23, he says, but an hour is coming and is now here. An hour is coming, and by the way, it's here right now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This is what Jesus says. Let me just translate that for you. He says it's not about where, right? It's not about the place, it's about the person. Is what he's saying. It's not about how much you know. It's not about if you kind of know a whole lot or a little bitty. It's not about if, if you come from this Jewish line, you know the whole Old Testament, or you come from this nowhere line, you've never been to church before. It's not about the knowledge. It's about Him. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. He says, the hour is coming and it's not now here. When, when It's not about the where, Right? It's not about the how, it's about the who. There's this moment that's coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus says this, this phrase, the true worshipers, right? In other words, you can know all the stuff You can know all the ways. You can be immersed in the church culture and you can throw your life into this is the right clothes. That's what the Pharisees did, right? Washed tombs, dead men's bones. They knew a lot about the how, but they had no idea of the who. And he says, that's not actually true worship. See, the truth is this morning, Jesus doesn't care if you give him your hands if you don't give him your heart. We make such a big deal, right? Like, oh, I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping. Yeah, maybe. Is anything happening in here? Because if you've never surrendered this, who cares if you surrender this? You can shout, scream, dance, whatever. It doesn't matter if it's not coming from this. Because it's not about the how, it's about the who. 
And he says this morning that, man, there is a true worship, but there's also a, a not true worship. See, there, there's, there's, a, there's a false worship as well. And I'll just let you know, they look really similar. They look really, really similar. Actually, standing here, you probably wouldn't know the difference, and I probably wouldn't know the difference, but the truth of it is you can fake me out and you can fake us out, but you can't fake God out. You can cry, you can shout, you can raise your hand, you can do whatever you want to, but if your heart's not surrendered to him, you're faking it. It says an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Last week we learned that the soul was the animating force of the body, but the the spirit is something else. The spirit is the part of us that interacts with God. Right, like that's why in the garden it says that we were, we were going to die, and what he was talking about was we'd be spiritually dead, we'd be separated spiritually from God. Physically, the soul is fine; it's going to do its thing; it's going to breathe until it quits; it's going to have a heartbeat until it quits, and the, and the soul's going to make it for a while. But it says here that the true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and truth. And this spirit is that part of us that interacts with God. If you remember a few weeks ago when we brought out the table, you remember that. And we read Romans 12, and it says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What's the next words? This is your spiritual worship. He says, there's coming a moment when we're going to worship God. The moment's now here, actually. We're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And then in Romans 12, because Paul knows we're not smart, he lets us in on the fact that spiritual worship is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, reserved, and pleasing to God. When he says here that the true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and truth, what he's talking about is not, I'm going to raise my hands. Is not, I'm going to sing the songs. Is not, I'm going to come to church. It's more than that. See, the definition of true worship is, I'm going to give my life to God because I see that He is the only thing that can satisfy. Jesus is having this conversation with this woman because this woman is so worried about worshiping and where to worship and how to worship. But she's never really thought about who she's worshiping. See, the truth of it is, this lady asked this question because she's willing to give God her hands, right? Oh, if it's Samaria, I'll go. I'll, man, if that's what it takes to get that living water, I'll walk up here on this hill and I'll worship God. But if it's Jerusalem, if that's what it takes to worship God, I'll walk down to Jerusalem and I'll worship my hands. I'll lift my hands. I'll worship my God. But Jesus didn't want that. He wanted her heart. If you want the living water, if you want to drink of the well, you've you got to give up the old well. You've got to look and you've got to know, man, that well will never satisfy you. That well will never, that person will never satisfy you. That substance will never satisfy you. That, that thing will never satisfy you. That job, never going to get it. That money, never going to get it. That stuff, never going to get it. Because it doesn't have the power to. 
But there is one thing, there is one person that is supremely satisfying and his name is Jesus and we see that and we respond to that by saying, I'm changing my well. I shove off the old wells because I know they can never satisfy me and I run to this new well, this fountain that is Jesus and know that all my satisfaction comes from Jesus. When we can get to that place, that is worship. We can sing songs forever, but unless we've seen that Jesus is supremely satisfying, your songs are empty and useless. You can lift your hands every day and you can cry in the car, but until you've seen that Jesus is supremely satisfying, I just want you to know all that stuff's useless. You can put on your church clothes, you can put on your tie, you can put on your nice shoes, and you can walk into a room seven days a week, 14 times a day, but I want you to know until you've seen Jesus is supremely satisfying and that is the well that you're, you're, you're getting your life and your satisfaction from, that is useless. You might as well quit. Because anything else is not true worship. Anything else is a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. Because the only thing that changes what's in this tomb, and it is, is that fountain that is Jesus. Amen? As the deer pants for the water brook so my soul thirst for you the living god and if that's not your heart this morning you're drinking out of the wrong well if that's not your heart this morning maybe you're drinking out of religion can i just say it's never going to get you there maybe you're drinking out of i really like this artist or this song but it's never going to get you there Maybe you're drinking out of, man, I like how it feels to be good. It's never going to get you there. The truth is the only thing that's ever going to satisfy you, the only thing that's ever going to make this worth anything, the only thing that's going to make Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday worth living is seeing, is knowing, is feeling, is believing that the only thing that satisfies is Jesus. Let's pray.